Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Rural Spark Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Murphy, and this week I'll ask you to shed any negative memories of elementary school field trips to local museums to see historic items encased behind glass displays. We're going to take a look at what's new and what could be new in our hometown rural museums. Rural communities across Canada are home to a great diversity of museums, most of them doing a very good job of showcasing and celebrating local history. But can they do more? This week on Rural Spark, we look at the evolution of the small town museum and check out the renewal in progress at the popular living museum called Historic Sherbrooke Village on Nova Scotia's eastern shore. Under the leadership of Executive Director Stephen Fleming, Sherbrooke Village has been stretching itself in recent years and taking major steps toward a bold new plan for the future. This revitalization is largely focused on a new initiative called the Rural Institute for Cultural Heritage and Environmental Sustainability, or RICHES for short. The idea is to build the Living Museum into a vital community hub for growth of the culture sector in eastern Nova Scotia. That includes providing training in rural skills to help spur on cultural and economic development in the rural communities. It's an intriguing idea, and Stephen Fleming is our guest this week to talk about it. Hello, Stephen, and welcome to Rural Spark. Hi there. Yeah, pleased to be here. Terrific. Well, Stephen, as I understand it, you're actually from the Sherbrooke area, but you've been away most of your adult life. Uh, you spent most of your career away. What made you decide to come back to lead the historic village in your late career? Well, I suppose uh, twofold things. Uh, one, uh, none of us is getting any uh, younger, and uh, same with my family as well. So coming home to be with family members. But the, the other thing was, uh, was Sherbrooke Village itself. When I saw the director position was open, it, it really made me ponder because I often felt that uh, Sherbrooke Village could be such a, an amazing icon and a source of pride for the people in, in this part of uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah, and it is a rare gem. I'm, you know, I refer to it as a living museum, but maybe just give us a quick little snapshot uh, for those in our, in our listening audience who don't know what Sherbrooke Village is. Yeah, well, it is a living history museum. So it's sort of set in the 1860s was sort of the heyday. So we're in 1867, was pretty much the, the center of uh, the booming business there. All original buildings and uh, most of them sitting on their original uh, sites. And what's neat about it is it was uh, kind of opposed, like much of Nova Scotia, to Confederation. It was a booming uh, gold mining town uh, at the time. Shipbuilding was happening. It was uh, it was really quite a prosperous place. And all of the debates of what Canada was aspiring to be versus where we were right at the time were, are all part and parcel of, of the daily discourse at Sherbrooke Village. So it's a little bit reminiscent of, uh, and, and a way of exploring our aspirations for the country in this little, this little community. It's kind of neat that way. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, you know, growing up, I think I had an opportunity once or twice to get to Sherbrooke Village. And, and even before we get into the, uh, the Riches Initiative that's underway, there were other things at the museum, I think, that's changed in, in recent years. You know, when I was a kid, I remember going to museums and uh, everything was kind of distant and don't touch this and don't touch that. And, but Sherbrooke Village was alive in that there are people in period costumes around. But I understand that now kids and families, adults, uh, any ages can actually come and get in costume themselves and kind of play a role. Is that the case? Well, that absolutely is the case. Uh, uh, we're still trying to confirm this, but for sure we're the only place in Canada that, that does it just off the cuff. You can literally come to the door and say, sure, you want to get dressed up and get, in, get involved and uh, the whole thing. 
Uh, absolutely. And uh, there's a few other places that do this, but you have to book in advance and it's limited. We make that an offer you, you know, if it's a, a day where you feel you're not going to be too hot and you want to get dressed up in Victorian costume, you absolutely can. And you can also uh, become a discoverer, which is uh, a person then that gets in, involved with doing a particular thing. So you could be, uh, uh, you know, a woodcarver for the day or uh, helping out in a blacksmith shop. Uh, don't expect to always be treated the best because you're just a helper. <laughs> Right. But, you know, it's all those kinds of experiences that just add to the fun. So, well, that's terrific. Doing. Yeah. And so when, early in your career coming back as executive director, you, uh, as you mentioned, you did see the potential for it to be something more. What in particular were you looking at and saying and looking around and saying, you know, we could do something bigger here? What, what was it that you saw as that potential? Well, you know, having grown up in this area, it really was part of my inspiration to be a, a conservation biologist and and, uh, you know, I went on and did a PhD and had a wonderful career in Parks Canada uh, in science and as a, a superintendent. And when I came back, it's like I'm still looking at the same beautiful place, still pristine, still so able to teach us about the environment. And then I'm also looking at Sherbrooke Village, which is this wonderful, intact, real cultural site. And the thought of, uh, of doing teaching around culture and environment really hit me especially when we have several buildings that are that are vacant that uh, you know the facades are maintained but we've never gotten around to uh, fixing them up inside it dawned on me what if we did that brought them back to victorian era but made the modern teaching facilities what would that change for us and after that we explored with lots of others and the like-minded folks said you know what there's something cool here we could do mm-hmm. some yeah, it definitely sounds like something that's fairly unique in Canada, too. And when I've been looking into this, uh, Stephen, I, I see reference to what we would call rural skills. Now, some people might say, well, isn't, aren't rural skills something that gets passed down in rural communities generation to generation anyway? And is there a gap maybe in that happening today? Or are we talking about something much different than what we think of as traditional rural skills? Yeah, well, well, it's a little both. Uh, no doubt traditional skills uh, aren't being passed down as they have been in the past. I mean, certain families do it amazingly well. And, and in fact, we count on those families because they can be our teachers. Right. And in other places and other folks, uh, they, they haven't had that opportunity for a whole bunch of reasons. And But there's this, this desire, this want. I mean, we, we have folks speaking to us, but boy, I wish I could do pickles the way uh, my, my grandmother used to do. And, and uh, sometimes it's deeper things. They've always wanted to make a quilt and and would love to do quilting, and, and they know some of the skills, but really couldn't finish the job, you know, if the supports were there. There's those kinds of things. And then on the environmental side, the, the, the whole woodsman kind of skill set also sort of has dwindled over the years, and it hasn't been passed down the way it once was. And that, that woodsman kind of skill set is, is also about uh, environmentalism, about appreciating the places that you're at. And today, I guess the part that's changed is people want to give back as well, in both on the cultural side as well as the environmental side. And so if we can develop up those skills, not only can they have things for themselves, things I've always wanted to do, but maybe some of those skills I could parlay into uh, contributing and, and giving back to my place. So it's kind of like why I came uh, back home to Sherbrooke mm-hmm. myself. Many others had the same feelings. 
Yeah, and a lot of people we've talked to on the Rural Spark podcast have, have commented that there's a great potential for our rural communities to become kind of, because we already are these little ecosystems, you know, you can almost be piloting mm -hmm. things when we talk about environmental solutions, when we talk about, you know, how we address climate change, because we can do things on small scale and test them. And, and, and maybe that's something that would fit into the, uh, the plan that you have there in Sherbrooke as well, since environmental sustainability is a big part of it. Oh, absolutely it is. I mean, we're even contemplating... Uh, you know, we we just had a little conference here, and and we're thinking the next one as a, a a big a big piece for next year, which is uh, for Sherbrooke, its 50th anniversary. All right. That that really we we should be talking about climate change and and what that means for small rural places because we often think in rural places we're kind of disconnected, but no, no, no. On the contrary, those that's the place where where if you can demonstrate, that's where you can make the largest difference because of the cumulative power of of small places uh, making a big difference. Exactly. And I wanted to get to that conference you mentioned that, and I, I think it might have been the first time at Sherbrooke a few days ago or last week, you had, uh, as I understand it, there were rural museum uh, mm -hmm. leaders from a wide variety of areas coming together at Sherbrooke Village and talking about these kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about that and some of the ideas that were percolating there. Yeah, well, in some ways, we, we wanted to demonstrate one of the aspects of, of riches. And there's a number of goals, but one of them, a key one, is is about uh, parlaying those those skills we talked about, which can be just about, you know, a good quality rural living. But but what if you wanted to move that into an economic value? Well, that's a hard thing for folks. And mm -hmm. so over the summer, what we did is we we had a coach here, you know, really good at this kind of thing, working with uh, uh, staff and community members on purpose, mixing them together. And we came up with four new experiences, and we demonstrated them as part of this conference and talked about that whole experience of uh, how do you put these things together and uh, what do you come out with at the other end? And then we had people take the experiences and give us feedback uh, as well. And what, what everybody learned is, boy, these things are authentic. They're, they're, they're things that are you know really special. They're true to the person, true to the place. And yes, you could charge a, a fee for that and people would absolutely pay it because it's so enjoyable. And that was a key piece for us because what we're trying to say is what if many other museums did the same thing in the rural communities and started to work with uh, community members to create smaller scale experiences. And then your, your museums become these places that sort of outreach into growing the, the rural economy, but never losing the authentic part of it. So that's what we we're trying to demonstrate. And I thought we were very successful. We got all kinds of wonderful feedback. I want to pause briefly here to say a word of thanks to our sponsor, ExploreNet, for supporting the Rural Spark discussion. I think we can all agree that rural areas of Canada should have access to the same amazing internet technologies as our biggest cities. And what's so interesting about ExploreNet, their network is bringing 5G-ready tech to rural Canadians even before it gets delivered to urban areas. You can learn more and check out what ExploreNet services are in your area by visiting ExploreNet.com. That's X-P-L-O-R-N-E-T dot com. What are the trends telling us, Stephen, um, you know, when we look at global even, uh, maybe national and global tourism trends, these kinds mm. of experiential learning opportunities, like is this something that we see on an upward swing and it's going to be more in demand in the future? It is. And one of the things that, that is true, and I mean, I've been you know, working I worked in national parks all my life. I first worked in, in tourism as part of that. And 
And the one thing that is absolutely true is people are seeking the, the authentic. They, they don't want to come to a place and see something they can see anywhere else. They want to know about the place where, where you're at. They want to know about you. They want to know about what's neat about this spot. And, and it has to fit. So, uh, so sometimes it's small-scale uh, authentic experiences and developing those up. And sometimes it's uh, developing ones that are kind of special. There's one we're, we're exploring here along the shores of uh, eastern shores of Nova Scotia and a possibility of, of North America's first beluga whale sanctuary. And mm-hmm. that one's kind of cool because it's, uh, it, 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 it gets into whole, the whole business of bioethics and so on, but having that fit in a, in a rural place, uh, taking animals out of captivity and, and having them have a retirement home, as it were, in rural places is, is kind of a neat thing. And so, boy, I can't believe how much uh, you know, our community members are behind this as a concept. And uh, so that one's an experience too, but it, while not from here, it's the, the authentic part of the community and how it's embracing it that makes this special for the, and still rural. So it's that kind of mix that I think is the powerful thing. Right. And Sherbrooke Village, um, was it the 1970s, Stephen, that it was founded, that it opened? Yeah, 1970, uh, the uh, restoration work started in, in earnest, yeah. Right. So it's been doing for a number of decades, been doing, you know, an excellent thing, but pretty much the same thing for a long time. And we're, we are talking about a very rural community and, and you come along and you're the new boss and you have ideas of doing something more, something different, something expanded, something, uh, you know, some new concepts. Change is hard for people. And even though you're not talking about bringing in some kind of ugly industry or anything like that, still change is hard for uh, traditional um, operations. Um, have you had some pushback in the community? And if so, how, how have you handled that? Uh, well, you know, uh, the community, I mean, I guess there's always individuals maybe that, uh-huh. but by and large, the community has been incredibly supportive. And and I suppose that's in part because we really engaged the community about where we, where we were thinking of going and, and had them engaged in the ideas. I, of course, did that with, with our staff as well. Um, and, and, you know, most of them are absolutely doing the same thing. They're, what about this idea? What about that idea? Right. And it keeps building. But we have others that, that, that are really entrenched in, in uh, the, the original kind of museum culture. And I've had the same thing in other, other kinds of work. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's completely understandable. A, a culture of an organization is a hard thing to change. Yeah. But, but they come along with, with time. And so, you know, patience and... Uh, is one thing, and, and and trying to understand and making sure those values that people have do get brought forward. And, and I think we've, we've been successful with that. So we're, we're moving down the road well. Great. Um, I understand that also you've had some, some pretty major parcels of really valuable waterfront land uh, donated for the Riches Initiative. What has inspired one or more wealthy landowners to get on board with this? That's a, that's a huge donation. It is, yeah. Um, what we're, what, what I think people really uh, are getting behind is one: we're going to keep those lands, you know, pristine, and uh-huh. uh, part of what we want to do going forward. But on top of that, uh, what might be different than just uh, say securing the lands uh, is that we're also going to be doing teaching on them, and uh, so skills development for for you know uh, nature teaching, and that's everything from uh, you know, 
just learning how to paddle a canoe well and uh, doing fishing to uh, how to make up a, you know, a good uh, fish supper on the shore to, to learning your trees and plants and, and knowing your birds and actually maybe uh, contributing as a, a, a bird watcher or, or a plant enthusiast for just for yourself or, or for uh, contributing to say uh, stewardship for nature trust lands or something like that. And so those are, those are skills that people are really interested in. And along the way, and if you're sitting along the shore, I'll give you an example. One of the things we're thinking about is we have the Stamfest uh, music writers uh, piece every year. Right. And, um, you know, starting next year, uh, one of the things we're going to do is uh, at the, one of the closing evenings, uh, maybe not with a big concert, but the evening before that, we're, we're going to go down to the, to the river. We're going to float down. We're going to have a big, uh, Playing salmon dinner on the shore on on our lands there, and they're going to be singing their tunes and uh, doing that final practice uh, along the St. Mary's River. That adds to that experience, and so sometimes it's it's the cultural parts, uh, painting, photography, music, and sometimes it's the environmental parts. And that's what inspired, uh, I think, uh, our, our land donators to say, you know, I I can get behind that. I'd love to see my land being used that way. Yeah, it's very attractive. I'm sitting here thinking, I want to sign up for them and some of that stuff. My canoe doesn't go very straight. Sometimes I'd like to learn how to paddle properly. And maybe those of us who come from rural areas are a little embarrassed to say that maybe we don't really know how to cook a fish supper on the shore when we're out uh, canoeing and fishing. So we'd like to learn those skills. And if we're too embarrassed to ask a neighbor, we can sign up for your workshop and it's, uh, we'll be with like-minded people. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the beauty of it is that, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're there with someone who knows what they're doing, but everybody participates. So in a way, you're learning by doing at the same time. That's one of our uh, core principles. Right. Well, Stephen, what do you hope that we'll see happening at Sherbrooke Village and with the Riches Initiative, say, five years from now? Well, well for Sherbrooke, um, uh, we'll certainly have some of those heritage buildings that uh, right now are just facades. The inside, they'll be Victorian, beautifully decorated, uh, but modern teaching facilities. And uh, so you might be learning about some kind of an environmental thing and stepping out into a living history museum or, or learning about uh, quilting and stepping out to a living history museum. And so that would be one. Uh, having, a, you know, a good teaching facilities and campsite down along the, the river would be another. And having that all going. So there's courses going all year long, even in the winter. Uh, mm. It's part of what we do. This would also contribute to the economy of the area. More than that, we have, uh, with our, our, our other large, uh, larger, I should say, uh, uh, rural museums, the, the other directors are super keen on this too. So we're going to be doing this uh, straight across Nova Scotia at some level. Sherbrooke is going to be the lead, mm-hmm. but we're going to make sure that we have courses uh, throughout uh, rural Nova Scotia using museums as the venue. And, and that's a really neat way for museums to have another service for community. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. I guess in all our provinces across Canada, there's kind of a network of museums that are usually have some kind of provincial uh, operating structure or mandate. Is that not true? That is absolutely true. And, and, and that's kind of what we did with this uh, uh, meeting or conference here a week or so ago. That's, that was the provincial group of uh, right. museums. And we're having that very discussion for Nova Scotia. Terrific. So we know that we do have museums of all varieties in rural communities across Canada. Some of them, and, and they're maybe they're more broad communities, may be thinking and talking about these same, same kind of issues today. 
for those who are wanting to embark on this kind of renewal and, and even reinvention for the future, Stephen, what advice do you have to share with them from your experience so far in terms of getting started and getting on the right path? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I, I guess uh, the things that come to mind uh, right away is uh, thinking about what is special about your place, you know, and the authentic special components mm-hmm. of your place. And those that are in particular, you know, somewhat unique to you. And then on top of that, saying, okay, well, how could I use those differently? How could I use those to serve more broadly? And in finding uh, answers to that, you start to shape up a vision. And then the key piece at that point is absolutely bringing others into that discussion and forging that vision together. And it's when multiple people get together to forge a vision, uh, that's when when neat stuff happens. And so there's always has to be that that person that sort of starts it but if you're willing to share the idea and have that go bigger it's very very powerful and in my experience every time i've done that in my various roles it's always come back the vision much better than what i originally thought and so that's so it's a win-win all the way around and and that's what becomes something that will actually move to action and uh, so far, so good with this Riches Initiative. Bro. Well, yeah, it's terrific. And, and we're going to keep following along for sure and maybe touch base from time to time and see how things are going there, Stephen. Uh, thanks very much for being part of Rural Spark today and sharing some of your ideas with uh, other people who might be interested in these kinds of things across Canada. And um, we wish you all the well with uh, Sherbrooke Village and Riches in the years ahead. Thank you very much. I appreciate chatting with you. Thanks, Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Rural Spark. Our team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Seabarth. Music is by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.